Hey, Spook Squad listeners. Before starting this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to say a genuine thank you to everyone who listens to this show and shows us love and support in any way possible. We see you out there, and we really appreciate you for giving us your time and hopefully enjoying the show. We have listeners in Australia, Malaysia, Italy, France, the UK, Brazil, and more, and that that just blows my mind, y'all. Thank you so, so much. I don't know how you found us, but I appreciate you so much. And all our listeners from home, our friends, old and new, we just wanted to say thank you to you as well. We just, we, we love what we're doing on the podcast and we want to keep doing it as best as we can and getting better and better to give you the best show that we possibly can. And I always say this, but we have so many fun ideas for stuff that is still to come. I'm just really excited to keep creating and sharing our love for horror with all of you because it's been a joy so far. So that's it. I just wanted to say before starting this episode, which is going to be something a little bit different for this week, uh, Allie will be back next week, possibly on Horror Headlines 2, if we can swing it, so stay tuned for that. Um, Anyway, just wanted to thank you all for listening. Uh, Just really quick, I I never ask this, but if you could, if you do enjoy the show, the best thing that you could do would be just tell someone about it. Someone else who is a horror fan, just let them know that we exist because we're just trying to get the word out there to all of the lovely people in the horror community who we love so much. And uh, it would just help us so much if you do something like rate us on iTunes, share us on social media, something it would mean the world to me. We got our first iTunes rating the other day, this last week, and it sent me over the moon, (laughs) y'all. All All right, so I have been ranting for a while. I'm just going to get to the episode. Thank you all for listening so much, and enjoy the show. It's Spook Squad with Dan and Allie. Hey, hey, Spook Squad listeners, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am Dan, and I am one half your hosts, and this week, uh, we're going to be doing something a little different than we usually do on the show. See, I had a different episode written that I wanted to record with Allie, but our schedules this week didn't really leave a lot of time for us to record, so I think I'm going to bank that episode for another week. But last night, I was talking about something I feel pretty strongly about, and a friend suggested that it should be an episode of the podcast, so... In lieu of that episode, I am going to take that friend's advice and I'm going to talk about this subject on the podcast. Now, the reason this is coming up is because I am recording this on Saturday, July 27th, and it is the weekend that Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has come out. Now, this episode is not about that film. I mean, it kind of is in a way, but what I mean is we're not going to be talking about this film or doing a deep dive into it like we have with other films on our previous episodes. I'm not going to spoil the film or talk about what happens in any way. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about the narrative that has been surrounding this film a bit. In some ways, it's a narrative that I have heard, maybe we've all heard, surrounding Tarantino movies for many years. And before we start to really get into it, I know you may be thinking to yourself, hey, Dan, I thought this was a horror podcast. Why are you talking about this? And that is a fair point, which is why this episode isn't about that film. Instead, it's about what we call exploitation films, and many horror movies are also considered 
exploitation films. So, okay, before moving forward, let's clarify. What do we mean by exploitation film? Well, honestly, it's not as sinister as it sounds. I like this definition. It comes from tvtropes.com, a site which I love. Uh, A film which focuses on morbid elements a lot, the type of morbid elements that fascinate or excite people. For example, a crime movie which focuses more on the details of committing the crime or its effects on the victim rather than the efforts to solve it or a movie that is excessively violent for no real reason. In fact, that excessive violence or sexuality seems to be the main definition of an exploitation film, end quote. Now, I feel like that definition explains part of what to expect from exploitation films in a very simple way, but there's more to it than that, honestly. Uh, Do you remember all the way back in episode four when I talked about Grindhouse Cinema? Well, much of Grindhouse Cinema was taken up by so-called exploitation films. Now, what does that mean? Well, for a time, it meant low budgets, low production values, films that could be profitable, but no one would really invest in. So in other words, for many years, this was synonymous with what we know as B-movies. Some people would consider these terms interchangeable, some people don't. Some very important and influential people, your Roger Cormans, your Robert Rodriguez's, for example, they prefer the term exploitation cinema. Whatever you call it, there are a few things to know about it. One, first off, for many years, this was considered quote-unquote working-class cinema. And some people, like Joe Bob Briggs, who we often shout out on this podcast, some people, like Joe Bob, consider exploitation cinema the real quote-unquote cinema of the people, sort of. Now, there is a lot of evidence that supports this, such as the consistently low budgets and production values, as well as the fact that these often played in... Cheaper cinemas for cheaper tickets, which were popular with working-class folks. So, as we talked about in our Grindhouse Cinema episode, especially in the cases of classic drive-in cinemas, uh, this stuff absolutely proved to be true. But that brings us to point number two, which is that exploitation cinema has practically become an aesthetic in the modern-day filmmaking landscape. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, to finally begin looping back around, folks like Tarantino grew up on these types of movies and were obsessed with them, so much that they wanted to use elements of that filmmaking in their own films, but in different ways and to different ends. In other words, the aspects of exploitation cinema were just a flavor in the genre mashup that many many of these more modern filmmakers were attempting, despite bigger budgets and smoother-looking production. The result has been the entrance of some of these more shocking elements of cinema into the mainstream, and some folks, they're not happy about it. Now, let me stop right here and clarify something, as well as just sort of spill the beans as to what this episode is actually about. So, for clarification, I am in no way in this episode seeking to defend Quentin Tarantino as a person or human being, because... Why would I do that? I have no interest in doing that. No, instead, this episode is about the conversation that seems to start every single time a new Tarantino movie comes out, which is this. What is the role of exploitation cinema in Hollywood? Because I'm sure it's obvious at this point, but folks... Tarantino clearly fucking loves exploitation cinema and pays homage to it in pretty much every film he makes. And because of his visibility and his personality, and sure, some of the content of these films too, like clockwork, you can expect people getting upset every time one of these films comes out. And this case is no different, and the reasons are interesting. But aren't they always? This film features both Sharon Tate and Charles Manson, both two very real people who definitely existed, and people who are linked in a tragic and horrifying way. Therefore, their presence in this film hints at something horrible. 
Would Tarantino dare show something real, something so horrible and unthinkable that actually happened? Again, I'm not here to spoil the film, but the movie and Margot Robbie's performance as Sharon Tate got approval from Sharon Tate's sister. So doesn't that tell you a little something? Furthermore, have you ever seen Inglorious Bastards? Don't you have an idea of where Tarantino's sensibilities on this sort of thing lie, regardless of how you feel about him? Again, trying to be as vague as possible here, but people looking for something to be upset at Tarantino at here are simply looking in the wrong place. It's that simple. But honestly, it didn't and doesn't matter. I have read plenty of opinions from people whose expectations were thwarted by the movie who were still upset by what they saw. Uh, for one thing, being upset by the violence in a Tarantino flick is like being upset by the romance in a Nicholas Sparks novel. With all due respect, what did you expect exactly? This is a trademark of literally every one of his films since the beginning. In what way is this surprising exactly? But it doesn't stop there. This film has been criticized at length for the supposed briefness of Margot Robbie's role, her lack of lines, her supposed undeveloped character, all of this. But this film is not about Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate is a character, yes, but it truly and honestly is not her story. In fact, it would be way more wrong and exploitative if she did have more lines. If you want a film that is truly exploitative in an insulting and disgusting way, check out The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which also came out this year and is literally just about the Manson murders featuring Hilary Duff as Sharon Tate. It's got faux supernatural elements and it takes a lot of liberties and that is exploitative. That is what a story about Sharon Tate's last days looks like, and it sucks once upon a time in Hollywood to literally say not a single thing else about it. It's just not that movie. That is not the type of movie it's trying to be in any way. So Sharon Tate is a character, and however you feel about that, whatever. It may make you not see the film, just that alone, but it's not some pseudo-true crime fan fiction as crap. It's something different. But I'll tell you what, it definitely uses some aspects of exploitation cinema. And here is exactly where we start getting into it, because for some people... This is enough to write off the film entirely because I see this type of article, this dialogue pop up, as I said, every time one of his movies comes out. And it's some variation of this. This brand of exploitation cinema has no place in Hollywood anymore. Exploitation cinema. We're over it. Forget this garbage. Can't we just signal goodbye to this stuff already? Just you wait. The death of the genre is coming. Just wait. Any minute now. Any year, this genre will crash and burn. Just you wait. Exploitation cinema is dead. And guess what? They are always wrong. Every single time. It's 2019 and this movie still exists. After Kill Bill, after Django, and everything that they said would tank his career for being too exploitation film oriented or whatever, nothing did it. So what gives if we're all supposed to supposedly know better? Again, not commenting on this film or even Tarantino in general. It is a continuous failing of the film industry to fail to realize the potential and appeal in this type of filmmaking and the fact that the public is absolutely attracted to it. It is a continuous failing of the film industry to immediately label so-called genre films as trash. And it is so sad and so predictable that the criticism of these films so often resembles the 
ages when we were hand-wringing over so-called violent video games and rap lyrics, dude. I really thought we had moved past this kind of baseless criticism, this transparent and naive notion that this sort of art and the fact that people enjoy it is some sort of sign that something is deeply wrong with our society and culture. But you know what? Maybe I'm the naive one, because I honestly believed that if you made a sort of argument that violent media contributes to public violence, you would be laughed out of basically any conversation at this point. We have been over this and over this again and again in our society and concluded constantly that these claims are baseless. So why is it so predictable every time? Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that some of the controversy seems to always be attributed to Tarantino himself, which is fair, sure. But it has the effect of unfairly lumping in exploitation films at large with him, as if he somehow represents the genre as a whole, which is simply not true. We have already done episodes on queer horror and female directors in horror, so I'm not saying anything new here. Women enjoy this stuff and also make these films. Queer folks like this stuff and make these films, and from what I've seen... These folks are not about to apologize for what they love, and they don't appreciate being told what they should and shouldn't like or make. So, what is all this really about, then? Because I'm not looking to frame the arguments of those who disagree with me uncharitably. Honestly, I feel like I don't have to, because I get that there are legitimate concerns and complaints about stuff like representation in film and ethical filmmaking and stuff like that, but... That's not what I'm talking about, and I feel like that's not even what these conversations are about. Because if, at the end of the day, you don't want to support Tarantino, that is fine. But why lump in films like Revenge and Martyrs and even Mother, which I've been seeing in some places? What? Like, what could be the purpose of shaming films like this and the people who see them? A lot of it feels suspiciously and predictably like the type of boring and lazy film elitism which has always been present, which is disappointing in its tediousness, but becomes especially insulting if you are one of those folks that subscribes to the idea of exploitation films still in some way being the films of the people. Certainly, you wouldn't tell me that just because I prefer watching The Toxic Avenger over Roma that I'm some kind of uncultured asshole or... Is it more simple than that? I'm just considered ignorant in some way, or at the very least, uh, you're superior in some way for the choice of films you watch? Now, hold on. That obviously doesn't sound right. I think that even some of the most elitist jerks would be uncomfortable reducing it to something as plain and simple-minded as that. Then what? Are you going to tell me, seriously, that it comes down to, ew, gross, blood, that means the movie's bad? Because I really don't want to believe that it is something so immature. There's an Ingmar Bergman film where a female character mutilates her genitals with a shard of broken glass. Is Bergman one of the absolute masters and founders of cinema, beloved by uptight film nerds the world over? Is Bergman some kind of hack because he used violence? Oh, no, 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 not like that. It's different, of course. How? To what ends? In what way? Seriously? Well, maybe you're going to tell me that exploitation films just do it different, and the way that Bergman does it, that's art. First off, can you see how fucking arbitrary that is? Can you see how quickly that falls apart and how you really can't defend it? But secondly, this fundamentally misunderstands the use of violence in almost every single one of these films, and the purpose of violence in these films, including many Tarantino films up to and including 
the one that just came out. There are so many purposes to this stuff in cinema, stuff that would appeal to snobby folks using violence to manipulate audience expectations, to purposely shock and disgust, to cause laughter. Imagine that, complex reactions to things, to represent redemption, to show loss, to show development. So much, so damn much. This argument implies that every exploitation film that uses violence uses it like Rambo as opposed to for some sort of message. But even if it's like Rambo, who gives a shit, dude? Seriously. Like, sometimes it's about showing off stunts or camera tricks or special effects or just whatever. Like, there are a million reasons, and it's really intellectually lazy to just judge it as bad, especially if a big part of it is you're just squeamish. So I really hope that we're moving towards a place where we can stop judging folks for the media they consume so long as they do it ethically and move away from this type of boring criticism to stuff that actually benefits folks. Pushing to censor art or the artist is absolutely not the answer. And continuing to champion diverse creators with diverse stories, that absolutely is. There is a part of me that really wants to tell people who make blanket statements about exploitation cinema to grow the fuck up. But, you know, no, I take that back. I, I don't want to do that. Instead, I want people to maybe be aware that these films are not their thing. But let them and the people who enjoy them exist in peace. Understand that for some people, being made to feel uncomfortable or complicated things is something that we seek out in cinema and something that we view as important. If that's not what you want, there is plenty of mainstream cinema to cater to your tastes. And I, I'm not even saying that insultingly. I say genuinely. There is plenty of stuff. That stuff exists for a reason, and that's fine. I'm saying it's fine. But so does this stuff. I'll say it. Our stuff. And I think that we can all play nice together so long as we're not misrepresenting one another. So that sound good? Because I think that sounds good. <laughs> So that about wraps up my thoughts on exploitation cinema and people unfairly judging it. Uh, what do you folks think? Am I way off the mark? Do you agree? Let me know on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and more, and we got lots more comments. So as I always say, shoot us an email at spooksquadpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll happily write back. Or if you want, feature your email on the show. Thank you so much for listening, folks. This is Dan, signing out. 